Welcome to the Texas Oil and Gas Podcast, the show dedicated to bring you the news from the oil patch deep in the heart of Texas with your host, Ryan Ray and Josh Shelton. And we're back with the Texas Oil and Gas Podcast. We appreciate you tuning in to today's episode. This is episode 223. 223. I'm your host, Josh Shelton, my friend and co-host, Ryan Ray. Ryan, it's another Monday, another day with oil above 75. Heck, it's above 80 this morning. Uh, so, I mean, it, it's, it just keeps climbing. And by, by the looks of it, it's going to keep moving. Um, Brent's up at 84.86 as we are speaking right now. WTI, 82.59. So, interesting market right now, Ryan. Mm, and, and Josh, we, we have a little 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 news here. Uh, we've launched a little, little company. Do some work. We are, man. So I'm uh, actually excited about that. So are we? Are we prepared to? Well, I don't know if we can say the name because we got the we, yeah filed this morning with the Secretary of State. Um, so assuming there's no hiccups on that end, Josh and I just launched a property management firm, and um, so obviously we'd be happy to work with any of our oil and gas folks out there who need some property management. Um, but we are excited to get into that space and um, property management is just the first step in some of the stuff that we have going on with that. So excited to see that. So we have a, a guest on this week, Josh, as you mentioned, we're above $80, man. It's crazy. It's crazy. And, um, you know, it's good times, right? Yeah. But you know, speaking of uh, property management, right. And I saw a uh, article out in Midland that the uh, two bedrooms, Averaged over nine hundred dollars mm. a month. Two bedroom mm. apartment averaged over nine hundred in uh, in Midland. Mm. House prices were averaging over three seventy. I saw that on the report. <laughs> no, no. it ain't fun if you're the uh, the tenant, though. I mean, that's um, those prices are pretty steep. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, if if you need help, college you know, boys. Yeah, college yeah. boys, right here. Hey, speaking of which, uh, let me see here. I didn't even check for reviews. Did you check for reviews this morning? Yeah, let, uh, let me just go ahead and check. We did, uh, we did ask for one, didn't we? Yeah, I don't see any. Um, wait, hold on. Hold on. We do got one. Right wing commentary disguised as an oil and gas podcast. <laughs> this is from Mac Mac Cosme. I used to enjoy this podcast, but it's just a right wing political commentary now. Very little is learned in terms of the industry. Instead, it's all about how Democrat Biden is evil and Republicans can save us. Uh, you, sir or ma'am, are a moron because <laughs> I've never once said that. So I'm sorry that you are too stupid to understand the words that are coming out of our mouth. So I think I think there's actually a clip of me saying I literally hate all the politicians out there. So I am sorry that you are too stupid to understand what we're saying. Um, so uh, I think, right, Josh? Oh yeah, yeah. yeah I, mean, I think I think we've been pretty clear about that from from day one. So um, yeah. we're we're equal. I think we were. Hold on, this is clear. We were against the lockdowns from day one, right? We're against government regulation, whether it's Republican or not. Um, the fact that we're under the 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 left wing now and they have more regulations means that we're going to be more critical. Because the left wings is you know they're 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 more stupid and so they're going to do more stupid stuff and so they're stupid I know the word here 
Is it more stupid, stupider, whatever? I'm stupid. We're all stupid. Whatever. They're going to have more regulations, more regulatory things to talk about, um, like banning on the federal lands. So I'm sorry that you don't like um, free markets. I don't know what to tell you. And, you know, we got an article here talking about Biden, right? Calling the Saudis, begging for mercy, just like your boy Trump did. Yeah. I mean, I don't, I don't know. It, it, it is just, it is funny because um, I don't, yeah, I, I didn't vote for Biden or Trump. So I don't know what to tell you. Yeah, well, I, I think, I think what it is, Ryan, more than anything is just going to be some of the stances we've taken on the lockdowns. I think that sounds like a right take. Um, it is the correct take. Yes, it is a right take. Yeah. <laughs> you have the yeah. correct take. Yeah, so uh, I, I yeah, and, and I think a lot of people hear us and they assume you know Republican because of that. But it, but as far as I'm concerned, the Republicans in a lot of ways were were guilty of all this stuff. Uh, did did we not ask the Republican guy last week how do they justify taxes after all the spending this year and last year? Yeah, yeah, okay. So I don't know if if, if McKim, whatever the person's name is, I don't know if you realize who the president was last year, but that would have been a re- Republican. So, yeah. Um, yeah. So yeah, I'm a libertarian. I make no bones about it, which means I have bones to pick with both both parties. So I apologize that your leftist tendencies are upset that you want to ruin the economy with taxes and regulations. I do not apologize for being a libertarian. Um, and thank you for the one star. We do appreciate that. So um, and, and listen, listen, listen. The left leaning people are welcome on this podcast. We have on AOC or whomever. We're not opposed to that. But if you think we're ever going to be champions of regulation um, or, you know, taxes or any of that stuff, then, yeah, you 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 do have their own podcast here. You know, so. Well, Ryan, uh, one of the, the things here is a Reuters article out this morning. White House asks, get this, U.S. oil and gas companies to help lower fuel costs. So months ago, it was the Saudis. Mm. Today, there's actually reports that the White House is speaking to oil and gas producers in recent days about trying to help bring down the rising fuel costs. Uh, I think they were averaging, I think, 330, if I remember reading correctly. Mm-hmm. Um, that's nationwide. So, um, you know, it, it, the, the, the transition is happening where at first we're trying to ban on federal lands. And now there's a sense of rising prices, demands coming up. There's a supply chain shortage. Um now there's all you know concerns coming out of the White House, not just from trying to get the Saudis, but actually coming to some of the U.S. companies um, to try to help alleviate some of these rising prices. Oh, I know why that person left a one star. We had that Republican on last week. Yeah, yeah. That's, well, the, I, thing. that's yeah. the thing. I just not figured that out. I just not figured that out. Okay. Yes, I, I'm, I'm sorry. The, the left leaning politicians, the Democrats, were welcome on this podcast too. Just to be clear, they reached out to us and want to come on our platform. Um, so if they, if so, whoever whoever wants to come on, come on. Um, I just, that that makes sense now. People get so triggered; it's crazy. Anyways, um, yeah. So the, we just made fun of kind of the the policies of the, of the Biden administration because they are bad, right? So you you put the 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 halt on the federal drilling. And this goes back to this does go back to to last year though. You know when we shut down the economy, which was a Republican issue. Um, you know we shut it down. And we sent negative uh, gas prices, oil gas prices, oil prices negative. Um, production stopped. ESG movement has been creeping along. You have all these events, and then the Biden administration comes in and kind of puts more pressure on these companies. And so, yeah, it, it's it's 
it's like, okay, well, what did you think was going to happen? Well, this is what's going to happen, which is people are struggling to get money. Now, I know we have a, a piece from Platts here that says that um, U.S. Shell U.S. Shell drillers show signs of responding to eighty dollar WTI after months of capital discipline. Well, maybe that's it. You know, we've been asking, what is the magic number? So, will eighty be the number that you know puts these producers back on the market? Maybe, maybe. Um, there's got to be a price point in which which they have to, and so you know the Biden administration calling and asking for help is is kind of weird because they have ran a pretty aggressive anti oil and gas campaign from from the get go. So I know that's a is that a right wing talking point that I shouldn't mention? I shouldn't mention that. Probably. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Yeah, well, you know, I wonder about that, Ron. So one of the things that we've been tracking, um, just looking at at the data the supply chain shortages, the rising uh, demand, the issues that have been happening all over, all over the world have been, I mean, it seems like everything has been uh, kind of contributing to this uh, supply chain issue mm -hmm. that there's, there's going to be supply chain issues. And it's not like it's just one thing that's going to happen, but it's like a hundred things that are all filtering in and contributing to this uh, supply issue. And, while that's happening, the narrative has been ESG, stop banning or stop fracking uh, federal lands. Uh, let's increase renewables. And so it's not it's not uh, it's not just uh, the fact that the president is pushing, you know, the ESG or renewables, but it's the fact that he's doing that while there's actually a, a bit of an issue that's developing, that there's not enough awareness for him to realize that that he's going to have to walk back on some of this stuff and the more that he he, he puts it off the worse it's going to be and i'm not talking about him i'm talking about just in general all these people that are pushing for this esg and and wanting to get away from fossil fuels are they're about to put themselves in a predicament along with the rest of the country where energy prices are going to be pretty expensive oh yeah energy prices are definitely definitely going up and so if 80 is kind of the magic number then you do have to wonder you know how much drilling will we see? Because this report is from the is talking about the Balkans expecting uh, rigs to go up next year, and if the Balkans expecting them, then we will surely see um, a lot more rigs in the Permian. And so, you know, it, it's one of those things. Well, will we get a lower price? You know, they say the best cure for high prices is, is high prices. So we might make it out of these this high price environment because. Just we have high prices. And so you have a couple of things to, to look forward to. If we say, hey, these if, if this report's true, that we should see an, an uptick in drilling next year, um, do we overdrill? That's the first question, right? So do we drill so much to, to bring it down? Now, the biggest difference between this time and the previous times is that OPEC meets monthly. And so they can respond a little bit more nimbly if they want to, to the market. Now, whether they will or not, it's a, a different discussion, but they have the capacity to, whereas before they kind of had these long breaks in between um they can have emergency meetings and whatnot but but now they're meeting monthly so that's the first thing so will we overdrill and how will opec respond to our uptick in drilling if it happens um, and then beyond that is does the economy keep moving forward to keep the demand high right so if you have some kind of economic setback or recession or or whatever going into 2022 then you could see demand fall off so it it, it the prices are good for u.s producers um we do need to see an uptick in drilling. 
Uh, what we don't want to see is the prices go from 80 to 45 because we've overdrilled this thing or OPEC opens up the faucets, which is debatable how much they can turn on. So I think that's well, kind of to watch now. That's that's part of the question too, right? Is that there's not a lot, enough capital. I mean, can U.S. producers, I mean, sure they have the acreage and the, the technology, uh, but, but I mean, can they just from a capital side, drill that much i mean or were they would they be able to fill in that without something which i i guess these 80 dollar prices would probably alleviate that there should be capital that would come in but i still feel like these investors are i mean like you say what if they what if in two weeks the price is back down to 65 because they over drilled it these investors are probably like <laughs> nervous to invest that kind of money yeah i think the thing to watch is as if if we start seeing more reports about drilling in 2022 is just to watch what OPEC does. So if OPEC comes out and says, well, we're going to, and they said so far they're not, but they change their narrative and say, yeah, we're going to increase our drilling in 2022. That would put pressure on the U S producers to not drill as much. Yeah. Right. So you'd have it to where, you know, they're going, but if OPEC continues to say, we're going to set the course, we're not going to increase. Um, theoretically that might open the door for U S producers. So it's, it's, you know, it's, it's not a clear path. Um, because there are a lot of factors that are still involved. The price is good. The price has stayed high. We've wondered when it would happen, and it seems right now, with the White House kind of changing messaging, asking the U.S. producers for help, they've asked OPEC for help, um, and you're starting to see people say that, okay, over 80, you know, now things are going to turn around. Maybe it does happen. It's not going to happen the rest of this year, but maybe it does happen going into next year. Um, and so that's a good sign. And then you kind of take that and say, okay, well, if the if the price comes if it does work out that way, that means the price would come down. Theoretically, energy prices could come down next year because of the increase in U.S. drilling. Okay, well, if that happens, that would bode well for the Biden administration and the Democrats going into the midterms, right? Because if if, if gasoline is five dollars next year going into the midterms, that's going to hurt the Democrats. Just yeah. the economy is you know is tough on the average consumer. So, um, don't think that's not in the back of their mind as well. So, Ryan, it makes me a uh, question. So this next article that we got, it kind of ties into what we're talking about now. So White House is revising climate spending plans after Manchin objects. So uh, those who, who don't follow politics very much, Manchin is a Democrat that um, was one of the only ones that would kind of vote right in certain instances, like vote Republican. Um, now he, he's very much a Democrat, but he's more of a centrist. Um, and he is, you know, coal, coal rich West Virginia. He supports energy. Um, I say energy. He supports, you know, oil and gas, coal. Mm -hmm. And um, anyway, they're trying to get this uh, this build back better plan, like three trillion or something uh, that they're trying to get through. And in that plan, there was a lot of talk uh, about the agenda to replace coal and gas uh, fire power plants with wind, solar and nuclear. And um mansion is has been objecting to that and so the discussion now is that they're going to actually remove uh some of that from the plan to try to get it through so which makes me wonder ron um if that's coming at a time do you think it's just mansion or do you think there that this agenda is likely to cause more of a problem so they're they're taking it out because we need to fix these gas prices or is it just mansion or uh is it just coincidence that that's happening at the same time well, I mean, you know, if oil was at 45 and natural gas was at, you know, $1.25, twenty-five, 
you know, getting that kind of stuff passed is a lot easier. Mm-hmm. Oil at plus 80 and natural gas plus five, it's, it's hard to get that stuff passed because people, you know, they're, they're feeling it at the pumps. They're feeling it in their heating deals. They're, they're feeling it everywhere they go. And so, um, yeah, I, I think that, that that's just as much a part of it as anything else. And then the other thing is, you know, when these bills, there's always talk of all the stuff they're going to add and they change it and they take it out and they add something different. So how much of that is just posturing for uh, the bases? You never do know. Right. So, you know, you could put something in there and know that Senator Shelton is going to oppose it. And when he does, you pull it out. Okay. Well, you knew that he was going to oppose it the whole time. And so, but you put it in there and you could blame it on Senator Shelton. So yeah. How much of that's at play as well? It's, it's, no. it's always hard to read on that. Yeah. There's so many different angles that it could go, that it could go. It, it makes me wonder if, um, if some of the administration is starting to, um, want to backpedal a little bit on this ESG to kind of say, well, we're, we're hitting, we're running into a situation where getting energy prices more affordable is more critical than pushing this ESG. Not, not to say that ESG won't still be important, but they might have to prioritize getting energy prices down first, um, at least from an optics standpoint, just so it looks like they're um, making an effort. Because uh, it's one thing if, if they're just ignoring it, but as long as they're, they're trying, I think that there should, could be some sympathy with their base. Yeah. And and, and, yeah, I agree. And then the the best way to fix all this stuff is again, just to let the market work itself out. Um, And the more pressure the administration puts on our industry, the harder it's going to be to get for capital. There's already, uh, it's already hard enough because of these ESG factors that you mentioned, but you're coming through there. Um, but but aside from that, it's um, you know when you have the politicians and they're going to regulate, it makes it tougher. Yeah, it does. Yeah, it does. And I I wonder um, I wonder as this starts to develop, if the the politicians are going to I wonder how they're gonna I wonder how they're gonna play these angles because you have these companies like Shell who have been basically divesting a lot of their fossil fuels uh, or fossil fuel sources. They've been divesting. A lot of companies have been moving away from that. Uh, I wonder if they've moved away from it just as it's become actually very profitable. I say just as, as as it's transitioned back into a very profitable stage. Perhaps they're looking at it on a long-term basis and saying, well, as soon as everything balances, all these administrations all around the world are going to be going ESG again, and they're going to be putting the pressure on these companies to try to transition to renewables. So from a long-term perspective, they may, they may be happy that they made these decisions, but it makes me wonder if, if some of these companies are starting to, to doubt it because I don't think they foresaw $80 oil you know, right now. Yeah. That's the other thing is, you know, I don't think many people saw $80 oil um, this time last year or beginning of this year. You know I mean? I'm, I'm sure some um, called for it, but, by and large, I don't think most did. And so you kind of get in a spot to where you, you know, you got to project where things are going to go. But listen, it's, if you're in the industry and you can get the labor force that you need, you can get the capital. It's a great time. I mm-hmm. mean, there, there are, there are obstacles, but if you can get past those then you're in a good spot. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and, and I say that just, Really, I, th- I think the renewables are also in a pretty good spot. I think uh, just in just all all energy is. I think uh, there's an article I put in here that 
uh, Total is opening a UK offshore wind hub in the North Sea. Um, I mean, so there's opportunities all over the place, man, for, for energy. I mean, energy is uh, something that is going to continue to be a huge market. And I just think, uh, you know, all, all these companies should just be going to what is most efficient, what produces the cheapest energy and what takes advantage, uh, you know, ha- utilizes these efficiencies. So I imagine being out in the North Sea, there's a lot of wind. So there's probably a, a really good investment there for uh, for these wind turbines. Yeah, yeah. So when 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 oil gas prices are high, you can argue that it's better for the renewables because it makes them more cost competitive. Right. Yeah, and that makes sense. That's that, that'd be the the way to to handle this. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. All right, Ron. I got uh, I got one more article here before our guest comes on, and this one is uh, basically a an article that is. Uh, a part of the roundup pinnacle midstream awards contract for the dose picos expansion picos dose picos picos <laughs> i love reading some of these articles and like okay he's gonna butcher this one so yeah so uh i mean so we're, we're seeing some some midstream projects start to open back up now that's exciting man i know the midstream has been uh in a pretty tough situation here for a little while. So I'm happy to see that. That's uh, that's exciting, exciting news to see uh, some projects coming back on. Hopefully that keeps keeps moving along as well. Yeah, and you would think that the natural gas stuff, I'm, I'm curious to see, you talk about this is a, um, this is a um, phase two, it's a natural gas processing facility in Midland, um, in Midland County. And you, you sit there and go, okay, well, do, will we see more capital going to natural gas with that price is so high? You know, it's, it's funny because not that long ago, we're talking about, you know, the natural gas pipelines are full. No one's building any. It's cheaper to flare it than it is to put it. You're going to lose money if you put it into a pipeline. Uh, now natural gas prices as high as they are, uh, which right now they're at what, 521, it looks like this morning. You know, it makes more sense to sit there and to – um, it doesn't make more sense for, to build something out long term. So do these do these companies believe that the future is long term? Um, I mean, does it, let me rephrase that. Do they believe the prices are going to stay high long term? And if so, you will see more of these deals come along. And if they don't, then obviously they won't. And you know, as the Permian picks back up, assuming that happens next year, I think then you're expected to see. Um, natural gas prices are, are going to have to soften, right? Because of the amount of natural gas that we bring on w- when we drill the Permian. So a couple things to watch. I think our guests are here. Let's see if we get them on here. Uh, let's see here. There's John. There's hey guys, can you hear us? Hey, good morning, Ryan. How are you? How's it going, bud? I'm doing just morning. fine. Good. Uh, I don't Michael, know if can, can Michael hear, hear us. Michael, can you hear? Looks like he's trying to get his uh, yeah. Work. He's trying to get his stuff set up. Okay. Well, we'll put him in the uh, in the green room for now, real quick. And uh, okay. Well, good morning. Uh, thank you for the opportunity uh, to have this conversation. Looking forward to it. Absolutely. I think Michael, you there, there now? Well, I'll go ahead and make a make a little bit of introduction while he's trying to get on. So, 
First of all, our position okay. is that, uh, you know, we think the industry has uh, really been good at uh, taking a leadership position in, in looking at the environment for, for decades. You know, I, I think we should be proud as an industry, the progress we've made. And, uh, but I think we all realize that the world needs an increasing supply of power and that fossil fuel has to play a role in that, regardless of what some environmental people may may counter in that discussion. But I think it's a blend that is going to get us, you know, continuing to move forward. And we've developed a process that allows us to significantly increase the production of oil uh, from traditional fields and depleted fields. Uh, at the same time, allowing us to gen generate electricity at utility scale levels and allowing us to do it uh, in, in a carbon neutral position. And it's a process. It's not one of the individual uh, technologies, but it's the process that really allows us to deliver those kinds of results. And it's a little unique in the industry, you know, to be able to provide uh, carbon neutral electricity in large quantities using fossil fuel as a basis. It's a category that really doesn't exist today. I know people have made a number of claims in those regards, but uh, we've tried to play a little bit in the background to acquire the fields, and we're acquiring the funding to actually implement and demonstrate these both in the U.S. and offshore. So okay. I, I think that's the premise that, that we kind of led you towards. Yeah, absolutely. Michael, when you can hear us, just give us a thumbs up. I don't know if you can hear us or not. We'll We'll bring you on here. Okay, you can hear us. Okay. Uh, we'll bring in, I'm going to keep you muted, Michael, because there's a lot of background noise on your microphone, but I'll bring you on here in just a second. So we talk about um, carbon neutral. That's so we're, Josh and I were talking about ESG and the pressure on you know, U.S. producers. And, and part of the thing is, is the carbon footprint. And so we hear carbon neutral a lot. When you guys say that, what does that mean? Well, we are, when, during the process of producing the oil and the electricity, you generate carbon, okay, mostly from the emissions. Uh, we basically, to oversimplify our process, we either sequester all the carbon that we create or we consume it. And consuming it is it can be the largest, the largest percentage of the carbon that's created. Consuming it by using it in uh, agricultural purposes, frankly. If you, if you install vertical grow houses, and you, you insert or, or diffuse the carbon that you're generating from the power generation, which is most of the emissions, into that grow house in, in, in calculated amounts depending on the crop and the growing cycle, you can consume the excess carbon that you're not able to sequester in the, in the oil reservoir to provide the miscibility and you know, the CO2 uh, flooding that you get the benefits out of in the oil production. So um, that's how we achieve net zero. Now it's a process. You know, you have to you have to have the adequate size of the greenhouses uh, to to match up to the amount of carbon that you're going to be producing of the CO2. But remember, CO2 is a natural crop stimulant. You know, you'll get incrementally more crop growth when you stimulate with CO2. Today, people are trying to do it by a pipeline or bringing in you know, bulk CO2, which is expensive, we're generating it on site by scrubbing it out of the emissions from the power generation. That's a very much oversimplified calculation. Sure. And did I hear you say, uh, Michael, I'll let you up in a second. Did I hear you say that you're, 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 you're putting it in greenhouses? Is that correct? 
that is part of the process. We are generating, we're extracting oil in incremental amounts through our patented process. We're generating electricity. Uh, Siemens have, has vetted both our oil extraction technology, all the surface equipment, and will warranty and, and guarantee it. And then we would generate electricity through either portable or traditional turbine generators. Take all of that emissions, which is mostly CO2, some nitrogen, which we also use for crop stimulation. And it's the combination of the power generation, the oil extraction, and the grow houses. Now we can use that excess electricity for a lot of other purposes, including you know industrial complexes because it's very cheap electricity. Can use it for data centers or Bitcoin miners, whatever the economics of that local condition produce or provide. We can put the electricity back onto the grid, and that's appropriate in some conditions or some locations, but it's not a requirement. We will consume the electricity we generate, and we'll consume or sequester the CO2 that we create. I'd like to take that up another 10,000 oh, feet. You got your microphone working. Great. Yeah, I got it. I like so Michael is the founder and the inventor, so he is very much uh, in tune to the technology. So, Michael, go ahead. Yeah, I'd like to take it up another 20,000 feet and take a higher view of it so you get a simplified explanation. When we when we looked at uh, extraction of oil, uh, we, we noticed that every all of the industry was what, what I call well-centric, which means that if, if a well make, took up enough oil at the prices of the marketplace and it was beneficial, they would drill the well, and if it didn't, they wouldn't drill the well. Well, in 2013, we looked at the fundamentals of using uh, uh, heat and other things, and uh, we looked at the business, and we didn't even know how to spell oil. But in a, in, a, in a strong sense that that allowed us to look at the problem without the boundary conditions of thinking, I would call that in the box. So we were way out of the box. So we said, how can we extract volumetric oil from a, from a, from a reservoir? Okay, so we, we divide, designed a, a, a process where we integrate legacy systems and some of our new technology into a matrix of horizontal wells that allow us to manage the movement of oil from the volumetric reservoir to the production wells. And when we do that, we create two to three, two to four times the extraction rate. Okay, so then we said, okay, now let's look at that. Now we need to generate heat. Well, how do you generate heat? Well, a lot of people generate heat today by burning a diesel fuel in boilers. So we said, why would we do that? We have a supply of hydrocarbons, which we can burn. And those hydrocarbons can generate electricity. So why would we buy diesel fuel to create heat when we can generate electricity and use the heat of the exhaust to heat the brine and re-inject that brine with re-injecting the CO2 to heat the reservoir to change the viscosity to manage flow. Then we said, okay, we, we're getting this, this heat from the exhaust of the, of the uh, generation of electricity, which means we're not paying for fuel. We're actually generating profits from generating heat. And, and that exhaust contains bad, bad gases. It contains CO2 and it contains nitrogen. So we separate the exhaust after we use the use its heat, and then we use as much nitrogen and CO2 to stimulate crop growth in greenhouses, our own thermally designed greenhouses, which, as John said, creates a tremendous amount of CO2. One 256 megawatt 
uh, plant with our uh, absorption and, and sequestration does more than 13 million trees. You know how they grow trees? Well, trees absorb 48 pounds of CO2 a year, a mature tree. So we, 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 we sequester and absorb millions of tons of CO2 within our process. And then when you inject the CO2 into the reservoir, you're effectively doing a CO2 flood. So we're doing a hot water flood, a hot CO2 flood, and then we add our own pulsing technology to herd the oil from the reservoir into the production wells. That combination of processes, which are both legacy and new processes that we have, we filed a patent on. And that was John, what John was explaining. Now, when you have the, the capability of generating low-cost electricity because you're using the hydrocarbons from the reservoir, all right, you, you open up a whole gambit of opportunities, right? We are capable of, of doing Bitcoin mining support with the data centers. We're capable of growing food. We're capable of generating bulk hydrogen. And we're capable of generating the first worldwide clean, smart city. And that's what John is talking about in our opportunities. And what we're doing is not only are we, we provide a fundamental process to establish those business opportunities. And we're looking for strategic partners to participate with us because we don't want to build houses. We want somebody else to develop houses with our low-cost electricity, our low-cost hydrogen instead of natural gas, et cetera, to make a clean, smart city. So we can turn an oil field into a oil field with independent power production, with growing food, with uh, inexpensive and cool data centers, and with the opportunity to generate a clean, smart city. And that's our fundamental positioning as a company. You mentioned someone. Uh, oh, sorry. I think uh, you may have missed me there at the beginning. So uh, on the greenhouses, you mentioned uh, building houses um, and trees and stuff like that. So what are the size of these greenhouses where you're you're utilizing the CO2 to, to grow some of this? Like just each, for a perspective. Each completely controlled vertical greenhouses because they're vertical instead of horizontal. Uh, is about an acre and a half, and we can produce as many of those as we want. It's very okay. modular. So we would uh, we would start with about eight eight greenhouses, and and our, the positioning in our first project is perfect because it sits between Austin, San Antonio, and Houston, and that's where we'll be generating the food and the power, etc. And the reason why it applies to Texas is we can provide reliable nonstop power. And we can either attach it to the grid, as John said, or we can use it to grow uh, uh, business campuses, support housing projects, and develop a clean, smart city. So those are our opportunities. And our first project is in, is in Texas. And we can change the reliability so that uh, a polar vortex would never, never impact our, our ability to supply power. Because we have a nonstop patent design of what? power. One more question there. So with the process right now of extracting the oil and utilizing uh, technologies and processes to uh, generate electricity, does this make generating the oil per barrel more expensive? Uh, so what are does how does this affect the margins just from a oil producer standpoint? So how, do, how much does it cost to produce one barrel of oil without 
capturing the CO2. So it, just from a perspective, um, I'm sure there's going to be more costs. I think uh, obviously there's also more benefits and more um, things you can get on the back end. But just from a perspective of a oilman that's looking at cost per barrel, um, how do these processes uh, affect that? Our fully loaded cost per barrel without generation of electricity, because I'm not putting the electricity capital in, is less than $12. Okay. Because of the volumetric extraction of the oil. So as, as the oil price goes up, as you see it happening, and I don't see it going down, I predicted $85 by the end of the year. I'm now predicting uh, approaching $100 by the end of the year. If you look at the oil dynamics and the supply dynamics, supply demand dynamics, and, and uh, it's only going to go up. And if you look at the rig counts that are out there now, we, we're, not, we're not drilling enough new wells to maintain our production levels in the United States. Okay. The point that I don't want you to miss there, and it's, it's really kind of subtle, the, uh, and we can go into a field-specific analysis at a different time, but even though the upfront capital dollar amount may be slightly higher, because we're treating the entire reservoir, not a well-centric approach, the amount of oil per invested dollar of capital is much higher because we're extracting such an additional amount. So the actual amount, uh, which is an unusual issue, frankly, is that the amount of cost per barrel actually goes down. So our, our, our extraction rate, our lift rates are, are really quite attractive. Okay, so help me out here. I'm not a, I'm not a smart fellow, as our listeners well know. When I hear greenhouses, I was told growing up greenhouse gases are the problem. And so you guys are saying, hey, we're net zero, and yet you have greenhouses. And so what am I missing there? <laughs> okay, greenhouse gassing is, is, is a an acronym for carbon-based emissions. So the word greenhouse, when you grow things, is different than a greenhouse gas. They call it greenhouse gases because you're emitting CO2 into the atmosphere. And that CO2 has carbon, right? So they, they call it greenhouse gases. Uh, but the greenhouse gases has nothing to do with growing food in greenhouses. It's just yeah. an acronym. Ryan, actually, a greenhouse uh, in, in the growing process will take CO2. And during the photosynthesis process of growing a plant, turn that CO2 into oxygen. So the uh, just it's the same process that trees go through that Michael was talking to. The photosynthesis absorbs naturally CO2 and converts it into oxygen, putting it into a confined, controlled condition of a greenhouse. You're concentrating that CO2 in there and getting massive amounts of oxygen, which everybody wants. You can you can emit as much oxygen as you want. Nobody's going to complain. All right, uh, and here's another point I'd like to make. If you look at the EIA forecast, you'll see that both oil and gas, we're going to have to, by 2050, we're going to have to increase the volume by 30%. Right? So you're increasing renewables, but you also have to increase oil and gas right, in order to meet the energy needs of the world. All right, so that you, we have to find a way, and we have found a way, and we can do net zero now, we have to find a way of using fossil fuels, both oil and gas, to generate clean electricity in order to plug the gap, the energy gap, because renewables are not going to get there, and there's not going to be enough renewables to, to, do, to do our energy needs. And if you don't plug the energy gap, you're going to have brownouts, you're going to have problems, you're going to have uh, huge inflationary issues, because as you increase the price of energy, you increase the cost of living for every man and every woman in the United States. 
and we see the cost of living every time we go to a gas pump and we fill up our car. Look what's happening right now today, right? The gas prices are, are zooming because the supply of oil and the energy is not there. Okay. So you and note the price of energy will increase inflation and increase the cost of living for everybody in the United States. You had another question, right? Yeah, do you guys have to, uh, to to scrub this carbon before you put into the greenhouse uh, to put a big plant, or could it come straight out? That's something I've often wondered about. Is um, as you say, you know, you can you can feed this to the plants, but does it have to be cleaned, or can it go straight there? No, the the exhaust that comes out of the it goes through what we call a naming or separation process, where we separate the CO two and the nitrogen from the uh, bad gases, and all the bad gases and whatever CO two we don't use in the greenhouses go back into the ground. The nitrogen is used to stimulate growth and released into the air. So you, you extract it, you separate it, you pump what you have into the greenhouse, and the rest goes back into the ground for well stimulation. All right. right. Now, depending on the crop, listen to this. This is interesting. We're going to be in the food business as well because depending on the crop, we will increase the production levels of the crop by 30 to 60% by having a completely controlled environment where you feed the crop the proper levels of CO2 during its growth cycle and the proper levels of nitrogen, All right? So when we do this, we get, we get not only are we, are we absorbing the CO2, which by the way, gets $85 per metric ton if you do that, but we're, we're creating tremendous amount of oxygen, helping to replace the, the, the decaying uh, rainforest uh, and, and then we make money. And we make 30 to 60 percent more money than than a normal greenhouse or grow house. The most expensive part of a grow house is electricity. And we have very inexpensive electricity. So we have a tremendous way of, of uh, creating growth capacity for food uh, in a very profitable way because the synergies between the processes, as John described. Okay, and the, the final question, I guess, is about Bitcoin mining. That's something that we've talked about on the show before. We've had on some folks who, who exclusively do this, but you guys are doing it as part of a this this larger effort to get to net zero. How does that play in, and how has the industry been receptive to it? Because we, we've heard mixed results about the Bitcoin mining. Some people are really high on it. Some people are very skeptical of it. Well, the beauty of our process is that Siemens and other people have vetted it, right? The other beauty of our process is is that we are combining separate processes that have never been combined before to solve a problem like food, you know, growing effectively growing food with that. Well, never, that was never thought of bringing that into the, the, uh, uh, fossil fuel process. So we're taking stuff that has never been in the fossil fuel process. And we're combining these processes with intellectual property that's patented into the way of getting net zero now. Okay. Ryan, you hit on a, I'm sorry, you hit on a, a, a key issue that we deal with all the time, and it's a good challenge. And that is most industries, whether it's traditional uh, oil and gas, electricity, or even the Bitcoin mining, they think of it in, in kind of a, a closed, closed loop, only that particular area. We're combining a number of different issues to get the kind of net results that we're looking for. The Bitcoin industry today is is the the reason why it's being talked about so much is they're moving a lot of the miners, the traditional Bitcoin data centers, out of China, and they're, so they're they're trying to find places to put them in the world, ideally in the U.S. and ideally in Texas because it's a friendly area. 
but they consume tremendous amounts of electricity. And those, those amounts of electricity have pretty much been dictated financially, you know, at about $30 a kilowatt hour for the power, which in today's gas market for a traditional oil, uh, electricity generation is almost impossible to produce. But by the fact that we're integrating the production of oil and, you know, the price of oil may not track identically, but it tends to move in the same direction as natural gas. So we have almost a natural hedge built into our power generation uh, that is traditionally requires natural gas to produce, uh, use the price of oil to offset the price of gas. But we can still develop uh, data centers and Bitcoin miners within that $30 a kilowatt hour target so that they can actually capture this business. And it's a short-term opportunity. There's a lot of demand for these, but there aren't very many locations you can even get the electricity, much less at this price. Okay, so just kind of wrap up here with this. Um, Josh and I were talking before. There's a lot of pressure on the industry from the ESG movement, from the administration. Um, obviously, we're it's the Texas Gas Podcast. We're, we're pro free markets. We're pro uh, gas. You guys are trying to kind of kill two birds with one stone, right? So you're trying to increase oil production or help keep oil production up. Also, a solution that would satisfy and appease the ESG crowd with, um, you know, repurposing the carbon for either um, plant food or putting it back in the ground and sequestering it. And so you're kind of trying to get the best of both worlds with your solution here. And then, oh, by the way, you have a crypto solution which taps a different market. So you're, you're, trying, to, you're trying to unify us all, it sounds like here. Uh, we believe the challenge. Yeah, the integrated processes is the solution. All right, everybody's in their own silo, as John described. We, I call those silos. And then nobody thinks out of the silo. We put those silos together to solve the problem. All right, number two, you asked us about, we are the best kept secret. We're coming out of our box now into the marketplaces, which is why we're having this podcast, because we have to make the world aware of us so that we can get the right kind of strategic partners and strategic funding we need to make this a worldwide phenomenon. The other thing is we believe that net zero doesn't have to be a cost. It could be a profit. And, and once you have a profitable approach like ours, it'll proliferate in the world because profits generate adoption. And, and so what we need to do is get this message out there and, 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 and do our first projects in Texas and then uh, move it around the world. And uh, with partners, by the way, strategic partners in each of the international regions. And when John said offshore before, he meant international, yeah. uh, not not offshore rigs. Although we can do offshore, we're not uh, resource capable of doing an offshore rig. We'd have to get our strategic partner to do that. Yeah. And, and just to pull the curtain back here, we met, uh, was about three, four weeks ago now in Houston when we were meeting with the president of Ghana. And so I know you guys are not only looking, this is the Texas Guest Podcast, but um, I know you're. It's not just Texas. You're looking for Texas or Ghana or anywhere that you think this solution might be a fit. Another thing is, uh, I remember when y'all come on. I said, "Hey, come on the podcast." But net zero—that's going to be a problem word for oil and gas. And you said, "Hey, we're ready to answer all the questions about net zero. So if folks have more questions about, you know, what this means, the details. Um, I know you guys have press releases that you've released and kind of some marketing material. Where should people go to find out more about?" Um, about your business they should go to our website www.gtherm.net okay and not only will you see our oil and gas stuff you'll see all the other things that we've done with our portfolio of technology 
Awesome. Okay, well, we will link to that in the show notes so people can go check out your website. Um, gentlemen, it was great to get you on and curious to see where this goes. It sounds, I, I like the, the collaborative nature of it because if you can do what you guys are proposing, um, everything that you're doing is a net positive, right? So growing more plants is a net positive. Reducing energy costs is a net positive. Putting more oil on the market is a positive. So all of those things are positives and you're, 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 the processes to make that one um, one unit, if you will, is um, is exciting. So uh, best of luck to you, and we'd love to have you on again in the future as things progress. Ryan, one point to finalize. the uh, It's important to us. We, we have opportunities. You mentioned Ghana. We have, we're exploring opportunities all around the world, but it's really important to us to uh, initiate all of this in Texas and the U.S. We believe this is the right place to start this revolution, and it's very important to us to do it that way. And, and my last comment is how do we bring together all the people so that fossil fuel becomes a positive solution to the problem rather than a negative? Right now, fossil fuels is, is, it, is a, a negative because it, because it emits greenhouse gases. But we're going to make fossil fuel a positive solution to bridge the gap between renewables and fossil fuel production of electricity, which is required to solve the problem. Okay, very good. Gentlemen, thank you so much. We will link to your website in the show notes, and we'll talk to you soon. Thank you very much, guys. Thank you for having us on. Absolutely. All right, Mr. Shelton, let's see here. I guess that is about it. Your phone is, like, going crazy over there. Um, Let's see see here. Um, So, look, we started off being criticized by being a right-wing talking show, and then here we bring on the solution that all the left listeners are dying for, which is the ESG crowd, right? We bring in the, we're bringing folks together. Yeah, that was uh, that was pretty interesting, Ron. Uh, yeah. So I mean, it's, it's so you know, it's, it's it's funny that when people criticize us for being right wingers, it's like, oh, okay, well, here's a guest that's actually hit checks all the boxes for what I think we all want, right? If we could use what hundred percent of the of the of the drilling yeah. process to lower costs, to increase plants uh, uh, growth or, or whatever, then why wouldn't we? Assuming it's, it's economic. Uh, yeah, I mean, you're probably any waste there. That would be uh, that would be fantastic. I think uh, I'd like to see I'd like to see it tested and see kind of the results it's having because that could be very promising there. Yeah, and it's funny because I, I wanted him to answer the greenhouse question. And I'm glad he answered the way he did because it's it's funny how. We put those labels on things, and you don't think about the actual implication, right? Yeah. So we got greenhouse gases, and say, so well, we'll say, well, how does that work? Well, actually, it's not the greenhouse gas. It's it's this other thing that we're akin to greenhouses because that's the effect that you get is that you get the greenhouse effect. Um, and so it's it's funny how the the verbiage will move um, to kind of target whatever it is going to target. So, anyways, all right, Michelton, I think that's it, listeners. Until next time, keep climbing.